And uh, Paul has prayed helpfully for us, and I'll just add a little bit more. Thanks, Paul, for your prayers uh, this morning. Father, we ask not only that our hearts would be uh, attentive, but they might be soft. And that, Father, because you're present here by your Holy Spirit, you might challenge us and change us by your word. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're looking at Luke 4 today. I've called it the Isaiah incident. And uh, I want to have a look at this word of God, and I want us to see afresh how important this is to Luke's ministry and particularly to his account of Jesus' life here in the gospel. And to kind of set it in scene, I wanted to give you a couple of other famous speeches so you're hearing with the right sort of ears. Not because it's easy, but because it is hard. Uh, It's glorious stuff. That's uh, John F. Kennedy. The next one, I know that you'll know. Another man with three initials. Have a listen to this. Guys, they're they're glorious. I I hope you know them. Do you know them? These are speeches that define these men, that define the age when they were spoken, that point to great hopes, that call forth much more from us. And Jesus is going to speak today. And we're going to hear from him. And we're going to hear his word. And I want us to be captured by it. I want us to be encouraged by it. I want us to be challenged by the word from Jesus. And in order to get that right, we have to know the context for the words that Jesus is speaking. And so we're going to go back to the time of Isaiah. And here's our Bible timeline. And we have Isaiah here. Isaiah is after, at the, right at the end, at the conclusion of the time of the kings of Israel. He's before the time of exile. He's speaking to the nation about their sins and saying, if you will not refine your hearts, if you won't turn back to the Lord, then you will end up in rubble, Israel. And right at the end, he'll speak about the great hope of a return back to the promised land. But this is Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus. And what does he say? What's the word that he speaks to the nation? Well, there are two passages that kind of get woven together here in the, uh, the, the speech that, Isaiah, uh, that, um, that Jesus gives. What, one part is from Isaiah 58, which is worth reading in its own right. It's also the reason in our home Bible reading, we're reading through Isaiah at the moment, chapter every day, to just get the vibe and the flavor of Isaiah. But Isaiah 58, 6, it says this, Is not this the kind of fasting I've chosen, to loose the chains of injustice, and untie the cords of the yoke, 
to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke. Now, these are, these are great words. Great words about reversal and renewal. And then we have these amazing words. Jeanette, thank you for your graciousness and your patience with us. We have these great words from Isaiah 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn in Zion. They're beautiful words. And so we have, in some sense, from Isaiah 58, social transformation, release of the oppressed. And when we have this picture in Isaiah 61, it's as good as a moonshot, isn't it? It's such a radically different take on what the future of Israel might look like. It's a glorious, amazing vision, far off in the future. And so 700 years have passed. 700 years since these great words and the people knew them and they treasured them, but they couldn't see them. They couldn't see them. And it's in that context that Jesus comes onto the scene in Galilee. And you know, sometimes when you're looking for a great hope, you kind of grab at anything that you can hear. Australian cricket, are we looking for some great hopes? I think that's basically where we're up to at the moment. And, and so you hear rumours, hey, there's this young guy. And, and so here's an article I saw. Keep an eye on Josh Philippe. He's the baby-faced batsman of Australia's future. And so we're longing, aren't we? We're longing for a return to the golden days. And so we'll grab at the rumours we hear of runs being scored against... Anyway, you get the idea. There are rumours too about this man... Have a look with me at verses 14 and 15. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. We'd seen last week that Jesus stood firm against the temptations and trials of the devil. We see now that the Spirit has been at work. He returns in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's power is evident in his preaching, his teaching in the synagogues. That's fantastic. And he builds this incredible reputation. It would seem, and I wonder, whether there are miracles being done at the same time. They're not mentioned here, but the, the mention of the power of the Spirit suggests that maybe they have been. Jesus' ministry is gaining a reputation for power and everyone praised him. It's a pretty good time for Jesus, isn't it? He's withstood the devil, he's been baptised the Holy Spirit has come on him and now everybody is praising him in the region of Galilee. What will happen next? Well, what will happen next is Jesus will go back to his hometown and we'll see, is there a new day dawning for the broken down house of Israel? All this hope and yet Roman occupiers all around the country. Poverty. And so what will happen when he goes home? Let's have a look at verses 16 and following. Jesus went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written. Dot, dot, dot. Like it, we, We're right at this moment. okay? But I, I want to stop just for a second, and I want you to see something in the text here. Who's Jesus? What, what, did, what did the voice from heaven say about Jesus when he was baptized last week? Do you guys remember? 
You are my, you're my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And yet what I want you to see is on the Sabbath day, Jesus went to the synagogue as was his custom. Now this is going to be silly because you're here, right? But I want you to see that the sinless son of God made an effort to go to church every week. Do you see this? It was his custom. Do you you meet the people who say, I don't need to go to church, I'm a Christian, I don't need to go to church? And I'd say, oh, that's okay, you're better than Jesus, so don't, don't worry. I won't say that, will I? And neither will you. But guys, I just want you to note, I want you to note in here, it's Jesus' custom to go to the synagogue. You might say, I know everything. I'm not going to learn anything in church today. The Son of God went and sat in the synagogue. You have made an effort today. So can I say to you, great work. Gold stars, okay, fantastic. But here's the thing, right? We need to have it be our custom, as was his custom. That's just worth noting. We've got, we've got to observe that. I want you to know, too, that the synagogue service had a shape. So you would start off, you come into the synagogue, and they would pray, and they'd probably pray 18 prayers, set prayers every day that they had their synagogue. And so you'd pray through these 18 prayers, which are all beautiful, and they have all different parts to them, and some people think the Lord's Prayer is a condent, condensing of all those. Anyway, there you go. They pray the prayers, read from the law, first five books of the Bible, And then you engage with one of the prophets. It's just the shape. It's the way that it worked. And so when you say a synagogue, don't have this church in mind. It's far more humble. They're smaller villages. They're smaller groups of people. Here's here's the outline of one. And they've rebuilt one just to give you a bit of an idea. It's a gathering of the local faithful. And so it's probably some sort of size like this. That's probably the sort of size for the synagogue in Nazareth. And so people sit around the outside and somebody opens the holy scroll in the middle. And it says here, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And and I wonder, complete speculation, whether there'd already been a reading from the prophet and whether, speculation, Isaiah 58 had already been read that day. But Jesus stands up and the scroll is handed to him and he finds the place where it was written. Now, you should know something about the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. Here, you've heard of the Dead, Dead Sea Scrolls before? They found these preserved scrolls that had been in the cave for 2,000 years, and they took them out, and because it's so bone dry, they'd been protected. Here's the scroll that's called the Great Scroll of Isaiah. It's an incredibly impressive thing to have preserved all the way to today. And to give you an idea of how big this is, from one end to the other, It's about seven meters long. So here's the reason I'm speculating that maybe Isaiah 58 had been the reading that day. Because when Jesus says he found the place where it was written, if you've got seven meters to go through, if it's in chapter one, verse one, are you with me? It's quite a thing. Anyway, I don't know. I'm speculating, but okay. So he found the place where it was written. It was a real scroll in a real place, and he found the place where it was written. And what he's going to read is something extraordinary. Do you remember John the Baptist said, I've come to prepare the way for the Lord. The way for the Lord had been laid out from before all creation. It had been waiting in Isaiah for 700 years, and now slowly the path of the Lord was being unveiled And so something extraordinary is about to happen in Nazareth, in this synagogue. Have a look with me at verses 18 
and following. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. It's extraordinary. He's unveiling something old and something new. It's an ancient word, but Jesus is about to say it has present application. He's about to say it has present application. He's going to say that the Messiah, the longed-for son of David, has come. He's saying the year of Jubilee has come. Have you heard of the year of Jubilee? It's the day when all debts are cancelled, when all property is returned to its rightful owners, when slaves are set free. The year, he says, of the Lord's favour has come. It's today, it's now, he's saying. Messiah, Jubilee, favour, and who is it for? It's for the least. It's for the downtrodden. It's for the people nobody expects to be under the favour of God. And then he sits down. And it says the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. That's a funny thing, you know. We, we kind of figure Jesus sat down after he'd read and he wandered back to his seat and everyone turned their heads around and went, what did you just do? But here's the really interesting thing, right? They would stand up to read and sit down to teach. The reason that Jesus has everyone's attention isn't just because he read the scripture out, it's because he's about to teach. He's about to unpack what he is saying. Verse 20, we see it. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And they're fastened on him because he missed a line. I love a sunburnt. It's a long way to the top if you want to. Now, when you stop at an awkward spot, right, everybody goes, we're all listening for the other part to come. So Jesus said, I've come to announce the year of the Lord's favour. And everyone goes, and the day of vengeance of our God. But Jesus stood up and he said, I've come to announce the year of the Lord's favour. And he sat down and everyone was just... You missed the line. Because for them, the year of the vengeance of our God would be repaying evil, would be upending the Roman occupation, would be restoring the nation of Israel. And so when you say you've come for the year of the Lord's favour, but not the year of the vengeance of our God then you kind of left us hanging. What's going on? Vengeance is justice. Don't you want justice? Aren't you bringing us justice? And he began by saying something extraordinary. He said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And it would have been, in our parlance, a mic drop moment, right? 
It would have been the bit where you go, done. And everyone's minds just go, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing right now in Nazareth. I am standing here. I'm saying it's done. Today, I am the hope of Israel. There's a problem with that. This is, um, this is uh, my mate Dave. And um, I, I think I told you about him before. Um, he, uh, he was running for Wentworth. This is him with Johnny, another guy. I know I don't know Johnny at all, but... Um, Dave was running for Wentworth when Malcolm Turnbull's seat was vacated and uh, he's kind of one of these young, hopeful, kind of, probably one of these guys who's a future Prime Minister of Australia. He's the former ambassador to Israel. He's an incredibly smart guy and he went to school with Caro and I. He's related to Sean, uh, Annabelle. And when you see him on TV next to Johnny Howard or whatever, I'm just there going... Dude, like I know you. <laughs> You're not supposed to be on TV. That's not right. And guys, I want you to see a Dave moment has happened in Nazareth. Have a look with me at what happens next. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? They asked. Jesus said to them, surely you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself, and you'll tell me, do here in your hometown what we heard you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon, and there were many in Israel with leprosy in that time of Elijah, uh, Elisha, the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman, the Syrian. What's going on here? Jesus made this extraordinary claim. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So great claims require great proof. And what they're essentially saying is, show us the Capernaum show. We've heard you did all this stuff in Capernaum. Don't hide it away from us. Joey's boy. We brought your chickens in for you when they got out. We rubbed shoulders with you in the streets. You made my dad's table. And you want to tell me you're the hope of Israel, the fulfillment of the plans of God? Put on the show. Do hear what you did in Capernaum. Or be quiet. Jesus recognises what they're saying. No prophet will be received in his hometown. That's Jesus. He's pretty quotable, isn't he? And then he goes on to tell about two people. He goes to tell about the widow of Zarephath. And you go, oh, Zarephath. Yeah, yeah, no problems, no problems. I know, yeah, 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 I'm on it, I'm on it, I'm on it. Who's the widow of Zarephath? Have, have a look it up. One, one Kings 18 and 19, not now, later. What happens is Elijah, one of the greatest prophets in Israel, has had to leave Israel because they're all basically following other gods and there's no place for him. So he goes too far away. If you look at the map of Israel, it's above Israel on the coast up north, Zarephath. And he goes to a widow there because it's faithless in Israel and finds a woman of faith in Zarephath. And she receives the favour of God because of her faith. And then he says, you know, there was another time later when Elisha, the guy who took over from Elijah, was around. 
And again, it was a faithless time. Israel was faithless. And so the favor of God fell on a Syrian general. Now, you could do that in Israel today and you'd still probably get stoned. Serious animosity there. Jesus says there were many lepers in Israel and none of them were healed. Only one person. A Syrian general called Naaman. Have a look it up in 2 Kings 5. It's a brilliant story. He's saved because of his faithfulness. And Jesus is about to say, you guys need to know faithless Israel that there are faith-filled foreigners. They're in Isaiah and they will be in the kingdom of God. This is a moment for you, Nazareth. Who will you stand with? And we know what happens with these visionaries, don't we? You guys know what just happens after this car picture of JFK, don't you? And you know what happened to MLK on that balcony there? I want you to see what happens to Jesus after he makes this extraordinary announcement. Have a look with me at verses 28 and following. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up and drove him out of the town and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. And you go, why? Why? Why did they want to do this? Well, they were very comfortable. They were very comfortable with God's favour so long as it was directed towards them. God's favour? The year of the Lord's favour? Good. But when you say God will exclude the faithless and he will find faith in the Gentiles beyond Israel and reward them, unacceptable. Unacceptable. And guys, there's a warning here for us. Many of us would say, hey, I believe in Jesus if I only I'd seen him face to face. And what I tell you is those who saw him wanted to kill him. Those who stood in the synagogue with Jesus took him to the brow of a hill to kill the spirit-anointed son of God. So don't think you would believe. Our sinful hearts manifest in rebellion against the goodness of God. What should we do with this great announcement? What should we do with this incredible speech from Jesus? The first thing we need to do is we need to recognize our true spiritual state. So in order to go, that's brilliant news, you have to get the bad news. The bad news is this. But we see it in Romans 7.23. Paul says this. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. You and I are trapped in prison because of our sin. We cannot get out on our own. Secondly, we see in John 9, 41, Jesus says, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now you claim you can see, your guilt remains. All those who think they're fine without God are truly blind. And then thirdly, in Ezekiel 33, we're told about what sin does to you inside, and you will know this. Son of man, say to the Israelites, this is what you are saying, our offenses and sin weigh us down. We're wasting away because of them. How, how then can we live? Your sin has oppressed you. It's weighed and crushed you. Church, there's good news today for those who are trapped in sin. 
for those who are blind to their sin, to those who are oppressed by their sin, there's a better word. Because the Son of God has come to announce something extraordinary. He's to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. Yes? Now that's good news if you agree with the bad news. It's the only place to find that freedom, that restoration of sight that release of the burden. We need to recognise today. We need to recognise what kind of day today is. What type of day is today? You know John 3.16? At least you think... So let's have a go. John 3.16, for God... Not bad, there's three of you know. That's great, that's fantastic. And the rest of you know that you should know, and that, that's fine. But here's the thing. John 3.16 is well known to us. Do you know John 3.17? Ha- have a listen to these beautiful words here. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. You want to know what my God's like? He didn't send Jesus to condemn Do you know why Jesus stopped at the point of the day of the Lord's favour? Why didn't he say, and the day of vengeance of our God? Why didn't he say that? Because this is a great day of salvation. There will be a day of judgment. You know this church, yes? When Jesus will come back and it will be the day of vengeance of our God, but it is not this day. I watched too much Lord of the Rings last night. It is not this day. But it's glorious. This is the vibe we should be in. It is not this day. This day we live. Yes? It's glorious. It's beautiful. It's true. It's powerful. And so if you're here today and you haven't been released, if you are blind, if you are oppressed, today is a great day to say, I give up, God, you're mine. I turn from my sin. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Today is a great day to get saved. Because here's the other part about today, one of my favourite passages. In 2 Corinthians 6, 1-2, it says this, As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain, for I tell you, in the time of my favour, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the day of God's favour. Now is the day of salvation. It's today. Today is a great day to do something about it. Don't go home and say, yeah, I'll think about that. I, I should. Do it today. And brothers and sisters, if that is true, if Jesus came not to condemn but to save, if the day of judgment has not yet come and we long to see new life in Jesus come to every home, then you and I must be about this, mustn't we? Giving the message of new life. It can't be that we know these great truths and we keep them to ourselves. That would be unbelief. You and I, in this unique day of the Lord's favour, need to hold out, need to give the message of new life to our community who don't know anything about it, who are blind and trapped and oppressed. That's the day that we need to recognise. And we also need to recognise our cynicism. Do we like the arms folded? I don't want to make everyone who's got their arms folded at the moment a little bit uncomfortable. That's okay. 
Uh, if you're having that arms folded moment, can I just ask you for a second just to try it, just shake it out. Give it a go to uncross them. Because when, when you do that, you'll think, gracious, I'm feeling a little bit vulnerable at the moment, I need to cross them up again. And the other thing that happens is it gives me the opportunity when I've got my arms crossed, it might be comfortable, it is very comfortable, but when my arms are crossed, right, I'm pretty cool as a cucumber. I'm not getting taken in by this stuff. They're all into it. Not me. I got this. I'm keeping a level head. And guys, I've got to tell you, there are a lot of folded arms in the synagogue in Nazareth. And they were cynical about Jesus. And I want to say today, if you've come here with your arms folded, metaphorically, not physically, bless you who fold your arms, can I encourage you, Jesus has made some great claims today, and what I want you to do is check him out. We, we run a course called Jesus for the Curious. It's going to start on March the 5th, goes four, four weeks, and we're going to look at Jesus. And I want to say to you, look at him as an adult. Consider him as an adult. Come back and check him out as an adult. He makes great claims. I think you'll find great proof, but check it out. What have you got to lose? Lastly, I want to say, have a look. Have a look around you and recognize the faithful here. God's goodness has included the Gentiles. It includes Australians, people from Africa, people from Asia, people from India, people from Papua New Guinea, people from Scotland. God's favor, Dutchies as well, God, God's favor has been shown to everyone. We must embrace God's goodness. We must live it. And so church, here's our test. At morning tea, do we celebrate God's inclusion? Or do all the Scots hang out? We must be a church that will rejoice in God's inclusion and the generosity of his grace. Now, because I think this is a beautiful speech from Jesus, and I think it's better than a moonshot. I think it has more power for social change than I have a dream. If we'll believe it and we'll live it out. And so I want to leave you with these incredible words from Jesus. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Let me pray. Father, you're good. Your son is glorious. Your plan is beautiful. Lord, you would lift us and set before us a great and mighty hope. Father, I pray that this church may long to see new life come to homes all over this place, Lord. People who we wouldn't think you'd include would be included. Father, we thank you for unveiling your millennia-old plan. Thank you that your son came to fulfill it, and I pray that we might bear the good news well. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.